0: Switch it on. There we go. Hallelujah. I need to be switched on. Good morning. Great to be with you, South community. Uh, Lovely to be able to share with you and uh, to connect. Uh, For those of you that may be uh, new to the um, uh, Willow Park South, uh, my name is Pastor Phil. I'm uh, the lead pastor at Willow Park Church. Four locations, six congregations, of which Willow Park South is... um, it's the most beautiful one here. Come on, it's gorgeous. So uh, I'm really happy to be uh, with you. It's been a long while, I know, uh, a bit too long, I feel. But it's great to see your lovely faces and connect with you. Uh, great to see you are. Nice to see you both back from Maui, uh, Terry and Janet. It's great to see you. Uh, good and uh, all that God's been doing. Love to hear about that and. Um, uh, now I've started pointing people out. I'm in trouble, aren't I? It's really good. Good to see you back from university. Yeah, that's good. Um, I just made that up. Um, just kind of looked at that row and just like I really knew. So uh, it's nice to have David Robinson here, who is the lead actor for Living Nativity this year. Coming up, David. Um, I thought it'd be nice just to interview him for a moment. And uh, we can pray for him. David, good to welcome you. Thank
1: you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Am I working? Yeah. I don't know if I work. The mic's working. You may not be. Um, Am I on now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I should be projecting, really, in, in readiness for... You should. Rehearsals. You should be doing your, your voice exercises. I should, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I won't. No. Uh, but thank You're, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking you, forward to the weekend. Making inroads into those 20,000 cookies for a start. So, That's, uh, yes, yeah. he mm-hmm. did
0: t- try to take a gasp. Uh, David and I have been friends for 30 years and he, uh, I could hear him gasping.
1: 20,000 cookies, what's that about? They need a room to themselves. Yes. Know,
0: don't they? We could feed the whole of Gornal on those. <laughs> um, so uh, well, I'd like to ask you a few questions, David. First of all, what have you been doing before you arrive here to Willow Park Church?
1: Well, uh, I flew in yesterday, um, so that's my excuse for not doing a great rehearsal, but I'm sure I will, uh, this afternoon. And before that, we, uh, I was here in October, and we did a, a long weekend getting um, a lot of work done on the uh, Living Nativity presentation, Scrooge and the Saviour Readiness, for this weekend. Uh, then I went back and uh, been doing a number of things. I toured with a guy called Jeff Lucas, who was at uh, Willow Park uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, he wrote a book about Barnabas. We wrote some sketches about that, toured with him for two or three weeks. Uh, and then uh, we were in Northern Ireland doing a few shows of the Screwtape Letters, a dramatization of the classic C.S. Lewis book. And that's the first time we've done that for a number of years. And we tweaked the script a bit and went down really well. Lewis is a, was born in Northern Ireland, and they have a big festival to celebrate him every year. And we were part of that. and uh, Big numbers came out for that, and it was a great couple of days. Fantastic, yeah.
0: fantastic. So how are things now looking for you for Living Nativity? What's your week looking like towards... You've never been at it, you've had no, no idea no. about it.
1: Busy, I think. Um, I just picked up a card out there that showed me the number of performances, which is amazing, and uh, the number of people expected is... I don't know what sort of numbers we expecting. Six to 8,000. Oh, six to 8,000, yeah. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that and uh, getting into the... But
0: we're shooting for 10 this year. Are we? Yeah, We are. No No pressure. pressure. Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) That's down to you guys. Uh, Mm. Yeah, so we had a great... Last time I was here, um, we did a a long rehearsal weekend, and um, one of the choirs said to me, Oh, David, very good, you're a natural scrooge. I don't know quite what she meant by that, (laughs) but I took it as a compliment, and... uh, went home, worked on the character and the lines, and this afternoon, um, it comes together again for a rehearsal, but uh, the guys have been working really hard, and uh, I've seen some video clips of what they've been doing, and it's gonna be a great presentation, a wonderful true story of the nativity, and probably the best fictional story of Christmas that uh, Dickens wrote 100 years ago, so yeah, it's gonna be great.
0: Great, great, well, we're excited. Shall we pray for David and let's uh, ask the Lord to bless him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, David with us. We thank you for his presence. We thank you for his gifts. And we pray that you will first of all keep him fit and healthy, Lord. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, give him that strength as he's with jet lag. And I pray, God, that as the team works together... That, Lord, we will just see your hand at work. Your mighty arm, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Bless him. And we pray that thousands will hear the good news. We pray, Lord, that you will touch so many lives. And we ask, Lord, that as the whole of Willow Park works together, we may um, see the power of the gospel at work. In the name of Christ.
1: Amen. You nearly didn't get here, though.
0: Just finish up with that story. I will finish that story.
1: So yesterday, um, it's a long trip to come here, but worth it, of course, every mile. It's a nine and a half hour sort of flight from London Heathrow to Calgary. But prior to that, I live up in in Birmingham in the Midlands, best place, of course, and um, where Phil and Michelle were uh, from. And I got a train down 5 to 7 in the morning from, from Dudley, uh, my local station, which direct to London-Euston, one of the, the major terminals. Um, so that was all fine and had plenty of time. Then I changed to the tube, the underground goes out to Heathrow. Um, but going down, the train started slowing down, and it, it's, it's one of the fast trains, should be, uh, and then there was an announcement, oh, a bit of problem here, going to be some delays, overhead cabling problems, uh, still not rectified. And then it got slower and slower. And the announcement came, actually, I'm afraid all trains um, to London are cancelled. We're not, we're not going any further. Uh, and this was about 10.30 in the morning. Um, so that uh, then we were stuck there for some time. And then the announcement came, an unusual announcement from a rail guard, saying, I don't know if any of you have been praying on the train. Um, well, I think I had been. <laughs> um, I've been thinking, what should I say to Pastor Phil? It was about three o'clock in the morning I would think in Kelowna then hey I'm stuck on a train I can't come um, didn't, didn't get on too well I didn't think but anyway um, he said the, uh, the powers that be the people who are looking after the track have just told us they're going to allow one train into London and then they're going to send all the others back and this train has been selected to go in <laughs> so we trundled in uh, and then I got my tube out to Heathrow and I was there in plenty of time so the Lord Brilliant. was going ahead of us thank you
0: you have no idea how many uh, intercessors have been praying for you this week and, um, and, and the move. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. But I want to start off as I begin to talk and think it through. I want to ta- st- start off by reminding you of a little verse in Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, uh, Jesus feeds the 4,000... And then they jump in a boat, and when they jump in the boat, they go across the lake. And and when they're travelling, they realise they've got no bread, and the disciples start to panic. I just find that story ridiculous. They've just watched Jesus multiply bread for 4,000 people. Now, the next time they're in a boat, and they've got nothing to eat, and they're panicking about where they're going to get food from. Isn't that like you and I? Really? Really? God does a great miracle of saving us, and we're worrying that he's not going to take care of us today. It's just crazy. And, and Jesus then says, beware of, of the yeast of the house of Herod and the Pharisees. And they, of course, were saying, I wonder if this is because we've got no bread. He's talking about this in this way. But what he's actually talking about is beware about a spirit, an attitude of power and control and religion. Because the power and control and the manipulation of the house of Herod and the, the religious non-relationship nature of the Pharisees, you, you have to be aware that that doesn't get into your bread. doesn't get into your life. It doesn't get to who you are as a person in your, in your walk. So as this is the first day of Advent, and in the, in the religious calendar, this is the first day of the year. Michelle and I were doing our devotions this morning, and we were thinking that this is the first year of the religious calendar, the first day of Advent. And so we were looking back at the last 12 months and thinking about what has taken place in the last 12 months. And wondering and seeing the God has been at work and what we've been... been what has been happening? And we've had a terrific uh, twelve months in many respects. Graduated two uh, girls from high school. <sighs> it's expensive. Um, it was an expensive year, Lord. Looking back, uh, but it was it was amazing. Uh, of course, my my mother died, and my um, my grandfather died within two days of each other. The grandfather that raised me much of the time, and the mother that raised me uh, died. So so we look back at this last year and go, wow. But this is the first day of Advent, the coming of the King. And I don't know what kind of day you've had, a oh, year indeed, but the King is here. But as we step into a new year, can I remind you to be aware of the Of the yeast of Herod's house, who is situated here within the scriptures in Matthew's gospel. And here is the reading. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. First of all, I want you to notice something, and I want you to notice In this, that Herod was disturbed when he heard about the work and the move of Jesus. That Jesus, this baby, was to be born. This baby was to arrive. It's interesting that powerful leaders are disturbed when things happen. Herod, Herod the Great, was disturbed. Herod the Great was a... Was an, uh, took an unknown region, really, in the Roman Empire and became what's called a client king. And this client king was, was raised up to serve the Roman Empire and to bring stability to the region. He built many things. He loved to build things. He loved to ap- apply and, and he built beautiful palaces and he's added to the temple. He was known as a builder, but he was ruthless. He was aggressive. He was a tyrant. And the yeast of Herod, what could we say is the yeast of Herod? Well, I want to suggest to you on your thoughts for Advent that first of all, the danger with the yeast of Herod is the danger of pride within our own lives. We have to watch that pride within our lives. We have to ask ourselves the question, Am I full of pride? Have I deleted God? He's political. He's powerful. He's, he's, he's got his agenda. And that pride is there. And that is, is real and part of him. It, it reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar. You use the word here... He was disturbed. When, when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a mighty statue with a head of gold and, and a chest of silver and, and, and torso of bronze and of iron and of clay of feet, he became disturbed and he could not sleep, it says in Daniel. He is another tyrant who was disturbed. And God has a way of disturbing us. Have you noticed politicians... Have you noticed politics at the moment? Politics has become, if I had a picture of Barack Obama and President Trump, if I showed them together, there would be different emotional reactions. And I don't say these things as any political comment this morning. But have you noticed that people have become so polarised? That when Barack Obama got into power, the biggest Google at that moment was from all of the Republicans, how can I leave America and move to Canada? And then when Trump got into power, they Googled, all the uh, Democrats Googled, how can I move to Canada? I don't know why they want to come here. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I do. He's wonderful. Uh, But but it's like, where are we going to go? Let's go and invade Canada. Um, And if you're American here, welcome, we love you. Um, Have you noticed that people are like, oh, I'm so upset, I'm so depressed, I'm so angry, I'm so frustrated at this philosophy, this way, I'm so angry here, I'm so frustrated. Why is that? Well... Sociologists will tell us the reason is, is that when we delete God out of our equation, we put our hope in policy and politicians. We put our hope and the leader becomes like a messiah figure who's going to change everything. And the policies become like the doctrine. And when your doctrine and your messiah figure does not get into power, you panic because your hope is there, because your future is there and we become polarized. As one 95-year-old American lady said when she was interviewed, she said, I remember the days when a man became a president and, and he was our president. But now somebody becomes a president and he's not our president, we're divided. Politics and power. House of Cards, the West Wing. You see, you can't replace anything, even policy and politics. You can't replace anything except with the gospel and the power of Christ as the only Messiah coming to the world. Because when Jesus turns up, He's the Messiah and he rattles and affects those who are ruling with injustice, those that are ruling with their power, those who are full of pride. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar and speaking to him and showing him a dream, or whether it's Herod, Jesus has a way of disrupting our inner pride, our arrogance. And you're on this journey... Herod was faced with the birth of a child and he had to, his reaction was to be disturbed Nebuchadnezzar was he could not sleep but God said, I'm going to, in Daniel, I'm going to bring a mighty, here's a statue. He gave him a dream. But there's a little rock and this rock would fly and this rock would destroy the statue and it would explode into all different directions. And this rock was worthless. It was, it was cut out from the mountain. It was not gold. It was not uh, silver. It was not bronze. It was not iron. It was not clay mixed with feet, representing the great kingdoms of the world. Our ability to be communicators, the humanity's culture, our ability to be innovators, our ability to build things like Google and mighty revolutions like the great industrial revolution. Our brilliance as human beings, or even build a, a, a tower that reaches up to heaven in the Tower of Babel. God says. I can take all of that, you see. And I can take something that is worthless to you and I destroy it all because what I am looking for is humility from people. When Jesus was born, he came, if you like, as an irrelevant little rock in the backwater and he was going to smash the world. Your Messiah, your policies, your hope, my hope, this advent, my, the light is not found anywhere else except in that manger. Bernard um, Madock, you may not have known him. He was featured in the HBO film called The Wizard of Lies. Um, when I mentioned some films... Um, I usually say... Because at Highway 33, they go away and watch the films when I mention them. Which I've discovered is a mistake. Because I don't always watch the films. I'm just quoting them from reviews.
1: Um,
0: so I've got in a little bit of trouble. Um, I read the book, um, The Wild, about a girl walking from you know, the, the, the rim across California and all the way up to Oregon. Uh, and I quoted it because I'd read the novel and it was a film because anyway, I got a letter. Um, <laughs> so I haven't watched The Wizard of Lies. But Bernard was Maddock was was an investment banker. He built a Ponzi scheme and he took sixty five billion dollars off people. And he was uh, played by Robert De Niro. His wife was played by Michelle Pfeiffer. I read that, didn't watch it. And, and portrayed brilliantly, apparently. But I do know the story. And he, he built this Ponzi scheme that destroyed so many lives. And it was all a scam. Started off well. Well. And in the packed New York courtroom where he was sentenced to 150 years to prison. As a broken man, crushed, he stood up into the, in the courtroom and turned to the packed crowd and he just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. All I wanted was I began it and then I failed and I couldn't admit my failure and my pride wouldn't let me back away and admit I'd done this terrible thing. I couldn't stop it because of my pride. Sobering words. (laughs) Expensive words. 65 billion. Lives wrecked pension funds crushed. But what was the root of the problem? Pride. What was the root of Herod's problem in the nativity story? Pride. He did not want anybody to take his place. He's the one that built the extension on the temple. He's the one that built the great palaces. He's the one that brought order into this land. He's the one that served the Roman Empire as a client king. And this baby's going to be born. My pride is not going to let it happen. Pride is a dangerous thing. But Christmas is about humility. You can watch this film. It's called The Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. There's a little character there called Houston. And he's an annoying little kid. And he's always, he wants to be in control. He's always giving it this. He's always very bossy, very... And he's manipulative. He's a Herod. He's a Nebuchadnezzar character in the story. He betrays, he works, and he finds a cave full of gold. So happy. And he gets into the cave full of gold, and he lies on the gold. And he turns into a dragon. Hideous. Hideous dragon. And this is the danger of the yeast of Herod that when we lay down humility and servanthood and we become so concerned with our success and our ability and who we are we become arrogant then the danger is we can turn into a monster. Whereas Christ came As a humble servant. And he becomes the rescuer. verse 5 it says, In Bethlehem in Judea, they, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, not the ruler with the pride, not the ruler with the arrogance, not the ruler with the, with, the, with the power who gets disturbed because people who want to control and are arrogant are usually people who cannot sleep at night like Nebuchadnezzar. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report it to me so that I too may go and worship. Worship? Herod was not going to worship the baby. Herob- Herod only worshipped one thing his wealth his success and his image and there's a danger in 21st century that we say we are going to worship the king but actually in the deep part of our heart our idols are present and what we do worship we only worship we worship our success we will worship our wealth we will maybe worship our position uh, and he was the most successful king at that time for an era for, for centuries since the great rulers he, he had created this alliance with the, with the empire, and he was a political savvy guy, and he, he split his kingdom at the end of his death into three, four parts: his three sons and his daughter, a, a, a strategist, a thinker, an arrogance he was successful He wasn't going to worship any baby. He worshipped his success. I've got to search my own heart. Do I worship what I am and my success? Or do I worship the Saviour? Am I truly a humble servant as Christ was? Madonna is a fascinating musician from the 80s. You may know of her. She's in the 90s. I haven't got a photograph and she's made some films but don't go and watch them. Um, Madonna is interesting. She's from the Midwest. She's from what I suppose the prayer is. She, she wrote about herself. She said, I've got a will and a A will of iron. When I decide to do something, I will always achieve it. And I decided in my little Midwest town to become somebody. And I became somebody, she said. But when I became somebody, I realized that I was still nobody. And this is the yeast of Herod. Because you become somebody, but actually, and it's called success or imposter syndrome, you realise that you still feel like nobody, and so you need more. And she said, I became an addict to being successful. I became an addict to, to, to being number one. I became an addicted to being that person on top. But I became somebody, but I still felt like nobody. Wow, honest words from... You see, you will never feel somebody until you meet the Christ who saves your soul. Because He changes you. Not your success, not what you've achieved... Those are gifts from the Lord, but what he's given you in, in, in his life. It was Mary Wells, she's a counsellor, and she, she, she counsels the top executives in the world, and she's written a lot about this. And she says, it used to be that executives who, who were so successful would, would self-medicate with alcohol, She said, but these days, they're not alcoholics like they used to be. They are success addicts. It's about their success. The project, bringing it together, gaining it, the buzz between the conception of the idea and the creation of it. And Silicon Valley is full of these individuals who are going for the project, for the big win, for the big moment, for the uber moment, where where suddenly you've created something that propels you to that point of of success, but they're trying to find their self-worth from what is outside, their self-contentment from what is outside of them, rather than finding their worth from what is within them. Now, I know within me it is corrupt. And I can only find redemption in my own life and security and love is found in Jesus Christ. And the yeast of, the, of Herod's house... Can so easily come through into our lives that we become that driven person full of pride that we won't surrender to Jesus. I'm that person. That I become that person concerned about my success, and success becomes my idol. I don't really want to worship the baby. I want to worship my success and protect my kingdom, the world cries out. And yet Advent cries out, He has arrived. He's arrived in Bethlehem. He He's the little unknown rock that destroys all the philosophies and the ideas of this world and brings his kingdom to us. It's amazing. And so he said, I want to go and worship. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped. And then they opened their treasures and presented. Him with the gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God was with them. They knew that Herod would, would, would do terrible things. Indeed, he did in verse 16. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Genocide and the vicinity were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He was furious, so angry because this was... Challenging his political power and pride. This was challenging his personal success of his family. He could turn the kingdom upside down and what he wanted to do was eradicate and kill and destroy. The house of Herod or the house of the kingdom of God? What are you going to do? Descartes said, I think, therefore, I am. Have you heard that saying? I, I, I don't agree with him. How dare I? I mean, I, it aggravates me. I think, therefore, I am. I know that I think, but it, it doesn't make that I am, by the way. I know what he's talking about. I'm alive. Because I think a lot about things. I think about God. I think about faith. I think about the man I should be. I think about the way I could be. But but actually, just thinking about it doesn't change me from the inside out. Do you know what I've discovered? I love, therefore I am. You see, I, I am what I love. Herod loved his power. Herod loved his success. Herod loved his his position and he was going to crush anything in the way. Herod had his Ponzi scheme going on. Herod was the dragon in in the cave. Herod was full of pride. There was no humility in him. He loved what he, he was what he loved. And he loved his position and his wealth and who he is. And we are what we love. You may love this about your life. You may love this relationship. You may love this. This may be an idol in your life. Let me give you the definition of an idol an idol is something you love, it is something you trust, it is something you obey. If money is an idol, do you love it? Do you trust it? Do you obey it? If it's taken away, does your faith fall down? Does your success, is that an idol? Do you love it? Do you, do you trust it? Do you obey it? If you're no longer successful and that disappears and you have to rebuild your life, do you do it with Jesus or do you become angry? Is it your idol? Jesus said you can't serve two maths. You have to serve one or the other. The word service there in the scripture means you can't have a king on the throne. You either have me on the throne, same Greek word, or you have money on the throne. But what's on the throne of your life? And so, so I am what I love. In other words, human beings, as Augustine said, are always leaning somewhere. It's like we're, we're always leaning somewhere. It's called the Greek word telos. We're always heading in a direction. We're always looking towards somewhere. Augustine said, it's like our weight is always going in one direction. And, and, and it can go, our weight could be towards the pride in my education. My weight could be... The pride in my, my success, the weight could be that I am a self-contained person. And yet Augustine says our weight needs to be leaning in one direction and that is towards, towards the Saviour always. And this Christmas, as we take communion, will you move your weight, your gravity towards Jesus? is it the, the famous quote that human beings are always leading towards somewhere we're always looking for castles in the sky i'm not looking for castles in the sky i'm leaning towards the kingdom of god coming jesus christ arriving and and i this this advent as we take communion lay down your pride and pick up humility. Lay down your success and pick up Jesus. Know that this is all a gift from God. Lay down the ugliness of lying on the gold like Eustace who is there and is now an, a dragon and is, is, is twisted and is horrible. But Eustace meets a very interesting person in the story of the dawn trigger. He meets a lion. And the lion turns up. And, the, and Aslan says to him, well, try and take the skin off. And so he begins, uh, this, this dragon b- begins to claw himself. And, and the skin drops on the floor. But it wasn't enough. So, so he allows Aslan the big claws. It's a brilliant moment. And, and the lion digs deep into the boy and it hurts. And he starts to claw him and claw him and claw him. And out of the hard, knobbly skin of an ugly dragon appears a young boy again. And no longer the dragon on the gold, but the boy. That is the work of salvation and sanctification. That we become, we can become so easily a dragon. But we need Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, to claw at our very heart to free us from our loves and allow him to make us to the person we should be. And at the end of that moment, the skin's on the floor, the dragon has gone, and the little boy is stood there. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for me. He's taken the ugly part of my life, the ugly skin the ugliness of who I am. And he said to me, Phil, will you lay down your success? Will you lay down your pride? Will you lay down your arrogance? Will you lay down the yeast of Herod's house? And will you bring your gifts to the manger and say, this is who I am, Lord. Take me. Use me. Make me into a servant. me into a servant and I'm sorry for sleeping on the gold I'm sorry for being so opinionated and so horrible I want you to sanctify me through the work of the cross and I want you to deal with me and I want to humble myself because the day will come when that little rock will fly in the glories of heaven and will smash humanity and a new kingdom will arrive. And as sure as Jesus came the first time, he will come the second time. And I want to be leaning that way. My telus, my vision, I want it to be on Jesus. How about you? Let's pray together. Advent, a time of preparation, a time of searching ourselves, a time of meditating on who Christ is. So let's pause and pray, and maybe I've touched on some themes of Herod's yeast household, You are what you love. So what do you love this morning? We repent, Lord Jesus, and ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, when we become comfortable in our own idols, comfortable in our own success. Forgive us, Lord. And cleanse us, I pray, this morning. Give us the courage to allow your Son, Jesus, to come as the lion, to do some deep work on who we are and to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Scripture says that when you come to the communion table, examine yourself thoroughly. It goes on to say that some of you are sick and have even died because you've approached it unworthily. That means take a moment, get right with God, assess your life, confess your sin, love Jesus as number one, and it's a guaranteed way of living long and healthily. Forgiveness is. So confess now. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We thank you, Lord, for the bread. We thank you, Lord, for the wine. And we pray now as we step into a time of communion that you will come close to us and meet with us. We thank you that by your brokenness we are made whole and by your blood that was shed on the cross we made clean. And we thank you, Lord, that you come and you take away all that is wrong in our lives. And you make us anew. Forgive us where we lean in wrong directions. Where we've put our trust our love and obedience to other gods, other concepts, other ideas rather than the kingdom of God. Forgive us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name.